I think our brain loves that feeling when we discover something new for ourselves and it has some uh, some use. Now, nature is not all about human beings using it, but our brain has evolved to, to love and find delight in things that help us. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Tristan Gooley. Tristan is a natural navigator. He's written numerous books about the subject and it was my love of these books that led me to get in touch with him and see if he fancied a chat. Tristan has spent decades hunting for clues and signs in nature across the globe and has been nicknamed the Sherlock Holmes of Nature by the BBC. This conversation went a little deeper and got a lot heavier than I think either of us would have thought but it's a really honest, humbling insight into the life of a man who has found his place outdoors and the path that led him there. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including InVision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack Magazine, our sister publication. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. The same as us, they're big believers in story over hype, and their written words and incredible images have been a huge inspiration for me over the years. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. There's a good chance that if you're listening to this that you have an appreciation for the natural world already, but we're the lucky ones. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help, and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Tristan Gooley. Thanks very much for doing this. I think it would be an obvious, logical place to start to just um, introduce yourself, tell me who you are and what you do, whatever that means to you. Hi, Matt. I'm Tristan Gooley, uh, also known as The Natural Navigator. I I work full-time finding my way using nature, researching ancient and more recent techniques uh, for, for how we can shape journeys using nature's signs. Amazing. And... I'm really interested in how one gets to that stage. You know, what are the early inspirations or was it your childhood or a trip that led you to kind of embark on that path? There were probably two important turning points. Uh, And the first was an understanding that I really enjoyed going on journeys, which, which sounds quite vague. So I'll be a bit more specific about that. I didn't know it in the early stages, but what I was loving was was the shaping of a journey. So I, I didn't actually get very excited about um, the destination that often. Uh, I did sometimes, but the thing that really got me excited was that thing that all, all outdoors people can relate to, the spreading of the map on the table, the I am here, you know, what route am I going to take? And that led through a through a not straight line process to me understanding that I love navigation. I just love this wonderful art and science of how we find our way. 
And that combined with uh, a, a, an equally strong realization that I wasn't I wasn't cut out to do everything in life. We all we all meet that moment where you you wake up one day and you go, okay, I've I've had enough time on planet Earth now to realize there are one or two things I can do okay, and there are quite a few things I'm I'm really not very good at. And I found something that I love and I and I seem to seem to be um okay at or or quite good at. So all of that together led to a, a passionate drive to uh not master there isn't there isn't the right sort of um verb for this but i just i had a kind of zeal to take on the art of navigation as far as i could and then the next sort of turning point was an appreciation and we're covering we're covering literally decades here and we can drill in if you want to but the next the next turning point was an appreciation that as my journeys were getting bigger and bolder and things like that uh the testosterone sort of levels were were you know as high as high as they needed to be the they weren't getting any more interesting and i'd come back from an expedition with this strange um it was almost a sadness that some of the experiences i'd had as a as a very young person perhaps a 10 year old were more interesting uh, and more rewarding philosophically than uh covering a thousand miles over several weeks and that led to uh a fundamental shift. Uh, it coincided with an appreciation that I was spending too much time looking at kit. I was staring at, at screens and dials. And to be a competent navigator in the modern world, you, you need to know how to use this kit, of course. But I, I as a 10-year-old, could, could walk up a hill and get huge satisfaction from thinking, do I take the, the left fork in the path or the right fork? And yet, ironically, in my 20s, I was, you know, staring at, at, at all sorts of bits of amazing kit. And so I started turning things on their head and I started doing very short journeys, sometimes, you know, only a mile, just crossing perhaps the English countryside using nature signs, trees, flowers, stars. And, and it completely blew my mind and changed my life. Uh, and that's why we're chatting now. It's amazing. And I think, you know, there's so much to go into there. But before we do, I think it would be good to understand a bit about almost like childhood and early years and how it was you got involved in the world of expeditions and travel. Yeah, I was I was really restless from a young age. Uh, but it, like a lot of restless people, it didn't have much form. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't that I I know people who woke up at an early age and said, all I want to do is climb a mountain. It wasn't like that for me. It was more being really honest, there was a bit of, you know, there's a bit of running away. It's not always, I don't think when we have a restless feeling, it's, it's, it's always an entirely positive thing. I don't think it's uh, everything in life's absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to do something else that's equally fantastic. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to talk like this 20 years ago, but it, but looking back on it, I think that's part of the restlessness is you're going, I don't feel terribly comfortable in in you know, nineteen out of twenty of the situations I find myself in, so I'm going to find that twentieth thing. Uh, and for me, that was uh, typically being on my own or in in quite small groups. Nearly all of the expeditions I've done are small numbers, uh, and I I quite like that uh, intimate relationship with uh, finding finding my way and and forging that relationship with with the the decisions in the journey 
And that resonates with me so much when you say the 19 out of 20 situations. But I mean, I don't want to push and you you don't have to, but what was it specifically that you think wasn't working for you as a child that, that led you to want to travel or, 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 well, run away, as you put it? I Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to air tons of laundry here because I don't think that's what, what any of us particularly want, including me, but it it's... I, I could easily get out a sheet of paper and, you know, cover both sides of it very quickly with things that happened in the first 15 years of my life that I wouldn't want to go through again. Uh, and none, none, you know, it, I, I'm not, <laughs> this isn't a point scoring thing. And, and I'm, I think everybody could probably do that without, without you know, and I, um, you know, I congratulate people if they couldn't, but it's, I mean, youth is, youth is tough. And if it's not, then, uh, as a bit of a tangent here, something I've noticed is that now I'm I'm firmly middle-aged. I've noticed that people who had a very easy childhood get very fidgety in middle age. Uh, and I think what happens is if you're lucky enough to be incredibly comfortable in the first 20 years of your life, you can be too comfortable in the following 20 years. And then you wake up one day and go, maybe there's a bit more than the the the, the repetitive situation I found found myself in. And and it may be that life's sort of kind in the sense that there's a balancing there that we, you know, over, let's say, the first 40 years of our life, we all end up at the same place in, in terms of, you know, the, the 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 swings and roundabouts, the pros and cons, that if you have a tough childhood, and I don't want to say tough, I mean, in some ways, I had an incredible childhood. I was, I was privileged in many, many ways. Uh, but, yeah, I was exchanging WhatsApp messages with a friend um, two nights ago, coincidentally, about you know, some truly awful things that, that, that went on, uh, that, that, yeah, um, had made the press because other people had been brave enough to stand up and all that sort of thing. But that wasn't, that wasn't, I don't think a big part of who I am or the choices I made. It's, it's just one of those things that, uh, yeah, if you're really, really, you know, hugely comfortable and happy, um, in, in, in a sort of, mainstream routine why on earth would you go and do some stuff which which might not go smoothly yeah well thanks for being honest and humoring me and then so what was it that you first did as part of your you know almost that that chrysalis where you reinvented yourself or moved away and moved on well there was a i i'm lucky enough to to be invited to speak to schools occasionally and this is something i'm trying to to share with them is this idea that we're quite often discovering what our thing in inverted commas is, uh, even before we're conscious that we're doing it. And by that, I mean those feelings of discomfort or, or occasional sort of joy is part of the process of working out what, what, what your thing is. Uh, and in that sense, being discomfort, you know, being uncomfortable at times is, is a, is a positive thing because it's, it's part of that process. And, so what I was finding is that there would be moments, I mean, there's one one particularly shaping episode where we were on a summer holiday, my sister, my mother and I on the Isle of Wight, and she booked me on to a five-day dinghy sailing course. And, uh, and this really was getting quite close to how uncomfortable I could get because I was going to be thrown in with a group of people I'd never met before to do a structured um, activity and something I, you know, never done before uh and for lots of people that's oh yeah lovely lovely summer holiday what more could you ask for but for me it led to massive rows with my mum and uh 
uh, I was 10 and she was wise enough to know that I would enjoy it. She just had to effectively trick me onto it. So she said, do the first day. If you still hate it, that's the deal. It's all off. And I, I, you know, wasn't at all convinced, but I thought, okay, that's a deal. Uh, I did the first day and it was life changing. And what happened was this, the, the instructor came up to my sailing partner and me and asked on the fifth and final day, once we'd done the formal part of the course, where would you like to go today? And it wasn't like there were fireworks and classical music, but there was a definite realisation and an excitement that I'd been given the skills to choose where I went. And the word navigation wouldn't have, wouldn't have resonated with me at all. I, I would have struggled to define it probably as a 10-year-old. But there was some appreciation that I'd been given skills that instead of waking up every morning effectively being told, this is the situation you are about to be put in, understanding that with with these skills, you get to choose routes A, B, or C. And that, that was very appealing. Was that for you just the literal sense of, I have navigation skills now, or was there some metaphorical kind of learning in there about control of your own life or your own destiny, for want of a better word? Yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and I think it would be neat and tempting for me to sort of repackage it but it's certainly not what it felt like if somebody and this is what I mean about us discovering our thing without always necessarily realizing it and it's a process that goes on through throughout life for all of us forever certainly continues for me is that the you know to put it in a bit of a zen way the universe is giving us messages all the time and the if somebody's come up to me aged 20 and said you know, what, 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 why are you on planet Earth? What is the purpose of you? Uh, I would have found it an extremely uncomfortable question and I would have struggled to answer it. But I would have spent 10 years actually building up navigation skills. I just hadn't seen it. I mean, by that point, I'd, I'd led sometimes willing, sometimes reluctant mates all over the Lake District, all over the Brecon Beacons, all over, you know, bumpy parts of, of Britain. But I hadn't actually put the dot, you know, joined the dots to realise that I was discovering what my, um, you know, what my what my calling, if I can put it that way, was. So the the you know the twenties are a, a fascinating period for everybody. Uh, I, I've never met anyone who's had a dull twenties. I don't think um, because it, it's 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 freedom in its most brilliant and terrifying sense. We have suddenly you know economic demands that are a bit a bit sort of scary but then there's suddenly huge huge decisions and i think that combined with a bit of finding out what our thing is can be the the the, the lighting of the fuse um and it isn't for it isn't for everybody and and we all know those people who have that slightly distant sad look in their eyes um but I'm a great believer that this process is ongoing and it can start for, can start for somebody. Uh, well, the, the, the fuse part can start in your 70s. Um, but the discovery, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going on. But, but we sometimes have to uh, do a bit of rummaging around to, to spot it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, you alluded to it before, but it, it, was, you know, it wasn't the natural navigation perhaps that came first, or at least it wasn't the, the only thing. How did you get into the world of expeditions and what did you get up to? It was it was a learning process. So I enjoyed the restless tearing around 
over mountains and climbing into sailing dinghies uh, as, a, as a teenager. But it, it was only in my early 20s that I thought, I'm going to see how far I can take this. And that led to initially, f- you know, a formal education. So, for example, the Royal Yachting Association has a very nice series of stepping stones. Competent crew, day skipper, coastal skipper, yacht master, ocean yacht master. And so I think this is, again, when I talk to talk to schools, if I talk to anybody, this is, this is you know, this is what, what I sometimes talk about is you've got to find your thing, but then you, you've, got to, you've got to take some steps on your own and then you've got to learn the game. Um, uh, and I think we all equally have got that experience when you try and pretend you know the game and you don't and, and things start to unravel. Uh, so it was really, really a lovely time because I thought, I know I want to be a navigator. Um, I was honest enough with myself to say, you know, I'm going to get myself and possibly other people into real trouble if I keep making the journeys bigger without learning some formal skills. So I went through the the formal process whilst working full time, mainly in the travel industry. So I'd take, I'd take sort of two weeks off and, 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 you know, get a, get another badge as it were. And then the expeditions were building alongside that. And each expedition was about trying to take myself to another level of, of competence towards expertise. So, you know, a fairly classic example is, I forget exactly what age I was, um, uh, somewhere in my twenties, I think. And, and I, I called up on a friend, I called up a friend and said, why don't we try and get from the South of England to the highest point in North Africa and back without buying a ticket? And this was a, a navigation training exercise for me as well as a holiday. Uh, and we, we sailed from Southampton to Jersey and the Channel Islands. We jumped into a light aircraft, flew down the west coast of France and Spain, landed at um, Tangier, uh, went up in a four by four where the road stopped, uh, put on the packs up to the, the summit of Mount Tubkal and then back via a different route. I think the whole thing took, took only about 10 days from memory. Uh, and it just pushed me, bearing in mind the mate I did it with, uh, he, he had a lot of land sort of focus skills, but he'd, he'd never skipped a boat or piloted an aircraft before. So it was, you know, large parts of the navigation uh, onus were on me. And that, that was the aim. I got back uh, and I was totally, uh, totally exhausted, totally elated, and felt that I'd I'd nudge myself up a, a level in lots of areas. And I assume on journeys like that, you're using, you know, the obvious modern GPSs and everything like that. Um, and if so, when did you start to phase that stuff out and why? What was the motivation? Yes. Uh, I mean, in terms of aviation and to a slightly lesser degree uh, on the nautical side, you have to use kit you have by law. There's a very, very weird... Uh, demonstration of this so there's no law stating you have to have radar on a small boat but if you have radar you have to by law use it so and, and in aviation you you're breaking the law if you do, if you don't use all sorts of amazing bits of kit most of which have three letter acronyms but um what you know that was round about the probably the 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 turning point i i'd certainly started taking on smaller journeys using natural navigation by then but i'd I'd committed myself as part of my sort of solo apprenticeship is the only way I can put it to, to attempt to fly solo and sail single-handedly across the Atlantic. And from the moment I made the decision to do that, to, to having completed it uh, on the 1st of January, 2008, I think it was, uh, was a seven-year process, working full-time, saving, 
training, building skills. And by this point, you're building skills that are not easily accessible. Um, and as a demonstration of that, I, I approached, uh, it was either seven or eight, um, uh, professional pilots who, some of them were ferry pilots, uh, the, 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 the pilots who take small aircraft from parts of the world where, where they are to where they need to be generally by high-risk routes. And, and of those seven or eight that I approached, three were dead by the time I took off, having died in light aircraft crashes. Um, but as, as all adventurous people will know, you have this amazing filter. You know, when I look back on that, I go, whoa, there were some red flags there. You know, when the people you're going to for advice are you know, dropping around you, um, you're probably taking on a journey that, that you know, is not easy to get insured for. So I'd, I'd committed personally to doing that. On a personal level, there were some massive changes between the, the, the start and the end of that, that arc. Uh, I'd, I'd got married and, and become a parent twice over, which, which all parents will be familiar, completely changes the, the brain circuitry uh, and does, does not make things like this easier at all and you you know I, I know you're a father so you've probably probably uh, encountered those 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 sensations but within that um within that seven years I'd slightly fallen out of love with the 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 um philosophic philosophical um cul-de-sac of of doing a big journey for the sake of a big journey. And I'd fallen completely in love with the idea that we can read extraordinary things uh, from the land or the, or the, the landscapes we, we move through once we start using natural navigation. So the irony was, as I was doing the last couple of years of preparation and then the Atlantics, it, it felt like a happy chore. I, uh, I'd emotionally and philosophically, I'd, I'd moved on quite a long time before in a sense but I did feel that it was something that I'd regret not completing uh, I'd invested so much um, time money effort uh, uh, the way I sometimes put it and again um, expedition people like yourself will be familiar with this is I, I had checklists of checklists I had I had excel spreadsheets spreading out into other lists um, and my wife and I sometimes laugh because we'll go on a, a weekend away and she'll say something not quite as bad as have you remembered your toothbrush, but there'll be something starting with have you remembered? And I do remember that for um, the solo transatlantic sail, I, I had to remember over 1,000 individual items or to-dos prior to slipping out. And and I, I got them all. So we have a good old laugh about that because we then turn up on our weekend away. And of course, I've forgotten three quarters of the things I meant to have remembered. Um, uh, but yeah, you're 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 a dad. You you know what I mean. How your your perspective changes, I'm sure. Yeah, radically. I mean, radically shifts. But that's a whole different conversation for another day. I think I'm going through a transition that you might have experienced, or it sounds like you have experienced. But we'll save my online therapy for another conversation. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, did you? How did you feel when you touched down and it was done? Uh. Not uh, genuinely happy to be alive because it was, there was, again, uh, expedition people will understand this sort of feeling. There's a, there's a, there's a, a positive feeling about physical safety. There's an excitement about doing something, you know, very mundane. Um, 
there've been several times in my life where you know i i've sort of thought just having a having a restaurant meal or something would be nice but it 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 was also also an odd feeling um in the sense that it's the the obsession or the what sometimes feels like a best friend sometimes feels like an enemy uh it, it you know is effectively you know left the room with a wave and, and that's it um so there's a slight hollow feeling as well i suppose but uh most of the, most of this sort of stuff i think uh, the the big stuff for all of us and it's not just expeditions it's anything uh only only really makes sense with with a bit of distance because again you know once you in the case of stepping off the boat i hadn't slept for more than one hour and typically not for more than half an hour at a stretch for 26 days so i was not in great shape and there's a funny story about that which is the the story to uh mount tubecarl and back uh i told uh i told my then girlfriend now wife that i was i was going to play golf which was an open joke between us because i don't play golf um because i didn't i didn't want long conversations about how daft the whole thing was uh and when I got back from from North Africa, um, uh, oh, this sort of dates it a little bit, actually. I think, yeah, my son, my first son had been born a few months before and she handed him to me. Um, and I was like, I didn't say it, but I was kind of like thinking, you know, a very self-indulgent, naive, early way of viewing parenthood. I was kind of like slightly expecting a you know, darling, would you like a cold drink? You must be very tired. And it's like, there's your son. I'm going out the door. It's like, ah, okay. The, the the penny's dropping here. So I psyched myself up, and this is this is weird but true. I psyched myself up at the end of the Atlantic because it was it was obviously a conversation we'd had many, many times. And and I'd actually said to her, look, I because you know I'm quite wrapped up in this, uh, I don't expect you ever, even if you really, really don't want me to do it, to say to me, I don't want you to do this. So I said, I'm happy to try and, you know, read the runes. If it's going to make you unhappy, you can you can say something weird. You can say something like, you know, I are you not worried you're going to hit an iceberg? You know, my, my wife knows enough to know that that wasn't ever going to happen, but it, it, it could have been, it, it sounds really odd, but I needed her to have a way of communicating to me, you know, this show needs to stop and it needs to be your decision. It, you know, it's not going to work in our dynamics if you kind of, you know, think for a few years that I'm the one who's, who stopped it. Um, but as part of that whole process, when I stepped off the boat, I was totally psyched up for three days nonstop childcare and, and looking forward to it. Uh, and once I was in that rhythm of sleeplessness, you know, uh, early childcare, as you'll be well aware, can be quite tiring, but it's not, it's not, you know, it, it fits quite neatly into solo sailing. So I stepped off the boat. We didn't discuss, you know, anything, you know, Sophie was able to go out, have a few drinks, have a laugh. And I think it was after about 36 hours, she went, all right, time served. You go and get some sleep. <laughs> I know that so well, that, and that, what you said about the naivety of, um, I had it, I mean, I won't do the full story, but just came home from a long trip expecting the kind of the red carpet and the confetti and the glass of champagne. And instead I was just handed a very, very um, grumpy one-year-old and, you know, totally rightly so. I just remember thinking, oh yeah, her life's just sort of carried on as a single parent while I've been gallivanting around doing my thing. Oh, it's probably my turn to do a long shift now. But um, (laughs) 
I think it's really interesting. You know, I talk to lots of people who've done adventurous things and some of them, I don't mean any disrespect when I say this, but they're kind of what I'd maybe call the lost boys. They're just, they're refusing to grow up. Um, I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a nasty way, but they just live the life of an adventurer and that's what they want to do forever. Um, you haven't done that. I haven't done that. And I think I actually had a message from someone the other day um, in response to a podcast talking about, you know, how am I supposed to go and do these things when I've got a young family? Maybe that's a good question to ask you. You know, was there a moment or how much do you think actually that your transition has been because you've been, a, a, you know, you want to be a decent husband and you want to be a good father? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And I I don't know where the line is, but it has never felt um, contrived. I've, I've never felt that what I do has changed to fit my family lifestyle. But I suspect below the conscious level, that has been a big part of it. Uh, I, I still think as a character, I'm more cerebral than, than gung-ho. I'm more, if somebody gave me a choice between climbing a, a, a massive mountain that, that few people have, have been up or, or, or noticing um, some, some patterns in a, in a desert that nobody's ever seen before, I think I might find the, the latter more intriguing. Uh, and I think that would have been true all through my life. And I, I'd, long before becoming a, a, a family man, I, I definitely always felt... Well, not, not always, but certainly from my 20s onwards, I felt expeditions are a, a, a tool, a key to, to discovery, to genuine discovery. And I'm not talking about, I mean, I have been um, once in my life onto un, uncharted territory, but I'm not talking about that sort of discovery. I'm, I'm talking about, and, and I, I've written a, at times in the past about how the definition of an explorer um, is somebody who makes a journey, makes the discovery, and shares the discovery. Those three things. If you take any one of those three, any one of those parts of the triangle away, somebody ceases to be an explorer. And and I think the word explorer became synonymous with adventurer. Uh, I think Shackleton played a part in that. Um, I'm a big Shackleton fan, but for different reasons. And I think deep deep within me, from you know before I. Uh, before I became a husband or a father, there was a sense that it's it's the discovery uh, that is is the exciting thing. Uh, sometimes we need to, to to spend weeks away from home for that to happen, but quite often, um, I, I will I will make a genuine discovery, the sort of thing that I would include in a book, l- less than two hundred meters from my back door, and it almost sounds cliche, but it's really really true. Uh, I. I noticed a pattern in, in tree roots that, that can help us find direction in a, in a clump of trees that, that I've walked through uh, dozens of times. They're only, only, a, only about an hour's walk from home uh, very, very recently. And that, to me, is really genuinely it's exciting. I don't have to dress it up. I don't have to kid myself. That's as exciting as, um, you know, feeling the wingtips about to touch the, the edges of a, a, a glacier-lined valley in Greenland uh, or... Or, or staring out over incredible landscapes from a from a summit, it's um, it, it really does it, it fires my synapses in a, in a bigger way. So it's been I've always seen it as a happy coincidence. 
I think if the other, if you're perhaps looking at it a different way, if if the alternative was true, and I know many people because I because we rub shoulders professionally a lot, where the adventure is the genuine goal and that's their honest calling, who who have quite a you know some pretty tough decisions to make, um, and 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 they're not easy and. I think I could probably spot one or two people who've kidded themselves and one or two people who've uh, done what they consider to be the honourable thing and, and drawn a line under that and look for something else. Uh, and it's it's certainly not for me to to call what is right. I consider myself hugely fortunate that the the discoveries that, that I'm driven by personally and that I rely upon for my income as a professional are not in any way related to... Um, uh, machismo yeah and that, i mean what a positive way to look at it in the modern world again i won't bore you or the audience with my deep views on this but i mean we did a, a i'll go on there. well no we did it i i hosted a panel at the rgs not that long ago about the future of exploration and you know one of our conclusions is that it's about stewardship and guardianship rather than you know traditional exploration which is fairly colonial by nature and I just think that the way that you look at it is so progressive. And again, I've said this a few times, but it really resonates with me. And as a young man, I was desperately craving probably purpose and meaning, but also respect. And the way that I looked for that was climbing mountains and being big and brave and tough. And that's probably why I've ended up as a bald bearded tattooed man. Um, but <laughs> now I'm into my thirties and, you know, I don't mean to, I'm not kind of calling these people out, but it's all personal. And again, I don't take anything away from people's motivations, but to walk from the coast to the pole in Antarctica, I, there's not a single part of me that would consider that exploration. You know, a lot of the crevasses are filled in by a JCB. They're taking their red buttons that they can press and be pulled out at any minute. Yes, people die. Of course they do. Accidents happen. Um, but, you know, the, the way that you travel and the way that you move, I love this idea that you can step outside in England and walk into a forest and by the nature of what you've taken, go exploring. You know, you don't have your GPS, you don't have your iPhone. I mean, most people these days, and again, a final disclaimer, I'm not downplaying or, or, or um, raining on anyone's parade, but people can't navigate to Tesco's without their Google Maps these days. And there's so much power, I think, and, and it's so empowering to hear um, whether there's busy people or people who aren't don't have the means to go to Antarctica or the desire all the time, actually you can explore in England very, very easily. Um, and should probably. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree, of course. Uh, and I'm going to put myself on the spot here because it's good fun, but mainly because it, it might help us um, shed some light on, on what can otherwise be quite an abstract concept. I'm going to ask you to tell me, and we haven't we haven't prepared this. You can confirm that we haven't touched touched base on this at all, or exchanged an email, or anything like that. I'm going to t ask you to tell me randomly one thing you've seen outdoors close to close to home, if if that's where you are in the last 24 hours. Absolutely anything that pops into your mind. One thing I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I noticed an oak tree for the first time on my drive into my studio this morning that I'd never seen before. Okay, fantastic. So that qualifies as a as a as a discovery. Uh, you're sharing it. That's um, you know we've we've it's a journey. There's a, a discovery. Some sharing. That's exploring. And now, from my strange uh, perspective, 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to go back one time and look at that oak tree. I'm going to ask you to find north using it. Uh, and there are over a dozen ways you can do that. Um, the, the leaves, uh, uh, they won't be out as we're chatting now, but, but uh, when they return, uh, smaller on the south side, bigger on the north side. The shape of the branch is closer to horizontal on the south side, closer to vertical on the north side. The, the roots uh, will stretch out um, uh, towards the southwest. Now, I could go on. There are, there are you know, over a dozen ways you can find direction using your oak tree, and there are over 20 ways you can, you can make a map. Um, uh, you know, we can find where water is by looking at the veins, the veins in a leaf. Uh, we, we could probably find half a dozen different compasses in the lichens on your, on your particular oak tree. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I think you or anyone else could go to that oak tree and make enough discoveries to, to fill a book of, of genuine, genuine things that nobody has ever noticed before. Um, whether they're to do with navigation or, or not is, is not the point. They would be genuine discoveries. Um, and, and I think our brain loves that feeling when we discover something new for ourselves and it has some, uh, some use. Now, nature is not all about human beings using it, but our brain has evolved to, to love and find delight in things that help us. And the helping, the helping doesn't have to be, we don't have to consume something for something to help us. Uh, the sun being due south in the middle of the day, you know, the world hasn't lost anything for us to notice that and, and it to help us find our way. Um, but notice, noticing those patterns and, and deriving uh, some pleasure and benefit from it without any negative impact at all is, it, it, to me, it's the best of all worlds. It's discovery uh, without, you know, I really can't, I can't find a downside. And I've been, uh, I've been inviting people to point one out for a while. Uh, so, so yeah, um, I, d I didn't know you were going to say the oak tree. You could have picked literally anything. Uh, the, there are discoveries to be made in, in, in absolutely anything we, we come across outdoors, anything we see, smell, hear, uh, and occasionally taste. But it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, again, I, I gave you the speech before we spoke about how this isn't about me, but I'm going to, I'm going to break the rule and make it about me for a second. I am... Um, <laughs> I've really struggled over the past few years with this kind of sense of I'm, I'm in love with two things which are incompatible, which are my family and my home life and my love of going away and experiencing these wild places. And I use that word very specifically and, and enduring and enjoying them and thriving in them. And, you know, whether it's lockdown or becoming a father, that's I've, that's really it's not been stripped away. I traveled a lot last year. I went to some amazing places, including Antarctica and Greenland. You know, I'm a lucky boy, but you know, that if you combine, if one were to combine the way that you think, and one of the ways that Alistair Humphreys thinks, um, you know, the author, he, in lockdown, he printed off an OS map with his house in the middle, which you can custom, you can customize an OS map. And he decided to go to every grid square. And then, I mean, to quote another guy I've spoken to, Ian Miller, who's climbed sea stacks on the west coast of Ireland, there's a lifetime of exploration there in one OS map. Um, yes. Now I, I copied Al and I have my OS map printed off in my hall at home. And I'm always looking when I go for a run or when I take my daughter out, you know, which grid square can we go to now? But I just think that's such an amazing way to reimagine the place that we live and the world that we live within, especially for those of us who consider Britain to be, you know, degraded and lacking in any sort of wilderness and this kind of well, concrete car park these days. Yes, definitely. Uh, and that, um, uh, 
Al and I have, have met a few times. We we bump into each other occasionally, and um, I think he's he's done some very interesting work in terms of not just the the, the discovering part, but the sharing part. I think he was a, a true pioneer in terms of the getting the word out there, uh, and and I'm a big supporter of that idea that uh, if if we go back a hundred years, uh, something had to make page three or five of a of a newspaper before um it was an expedition in inverted commas and the discoveries tended to involve sort of flags being planted still and that sort of thing uh whereas the the philosophical appreciation that the discoveries can be really very small scale and don't have to be um newsworthy in inverted commas and now the, the ability to share is so much greater i mean i love that about I mean, just very randomly on the sharing side, of course, podcasts are now part of this brave new world and, and social media and that sort of thing. And and I learned so much that way. I can share something thinking I'm going to get one reaction uh, and, and get a totally, and I absolutely love it. It's all part of the learning. I'm just related to that. I I was very fortunate. I got sent to uh, one of those OS maps by by uh, um, Vanessa Lawrence, the, the, the former director, um, and it, it was very sweet. It just said Tristan's home on the front and this sort of thing. And and I wanted to share that. And I, I think I put that with a, quite a few other maps that I had in, in my map box, which doesn't get access much as much these days as it as it did when I was younger. But it's not the best, it's not the best looking thing. It's a bit tatty and everything's a bit disorganized in that. And I was expecting a certain reaction. I got a totally different one, which was <laughs> Lots and lots of people <laughs> complaining that their OCD had been triggered by my slightly relaxed approach to story <laughs> maps. <laughs> it's just it's such a strange, it's not directly relevant to, to, to exploration, but it is, I think, that third part, the sharing part, that, I mean, there, there is a negative side to it. I think that there, I, do, I do genuinely worry um, about young people thinking, you know, a, a thousand photos of them smiling uh, on top of a, a boulder in a nice landscape is is you know, the, the route to Nirvana. Um, maybe it is. I might be wrong. I'm, uh, <laughs> I am not an expert in those in those sorts of things. But on the positive side, we can we can we can go on journeys, make discoveries, and share in a way that a uh, hundred years ago they they'd really really struggle to even comprehend. I'm fairly sure you're not wrong. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that extrinsic motivation is a worry and you know we've talked about parents a bit but it is a concern and I think I struggle with it and I'm 34 so God only knows what the teenagers are having to put up with but you know I this is a slightly woolly point but I hope it's these sorts of things this is my point you know really to be less I'm not being cryptic at all but less cryptic you know we all have access to these skills and these places we don't need a plane ticket to Antarctica um, and I think maybe, you know, with that kind of accidental segue, like it might be interesting for you to define as you see it, what natural navigation is. Cause I think natural is quite an interesting word. Yeah. Um, navigation, the, the art and science of, uh, understanding where we are and how to find our way to where we want to go. And natural is, a is, as you've picked up there, it's, it's a word that needs pinning down a bit. So my interpretation of, of the word natural in, in the, context of natural navigation is is tool free hands free so uh this this becomes this this goes into some quite interesting areas because everyone will kind of guess that it's 
not using a, a smartphone or a GPS or something like that, but it's not even using sextants. Uh, I, I've either been formally trained or trained myself in using some of the some of the older kit from sextants back through through sort of um, stars and quadrants and all sorts of weird bits of kit, uh, kamals in the, in the desert and things like that. But that's not natural navigation because, however, sort of you know, to certain people, that's wonderful, interesting kit, uh, myself included. But it's not natural navigation because we've still got a tool in our hands. However, using something like a TV satellite dish is natural navigation to me because we are, we don't have the tool in our hands. We are noticing something in our landscape. If there's a TV satellite dish there, we're we're, we're obviously not in the in the wilds of Arabia or somewhere like that. But it's still valid. Um, it's still valid observation of a landscape clue. I mean, in the UK, for example, TV satellite dishes point close to southeast, so they're one of the fastest, um, most expedient ways to get your bearings in a in a town or city. And that qualifies for me. So people quite often sort of, you know, nature is, is for me the richest, most fascinating part of it. Un- understanding that you can make a map using a butterfly, for example, is, is for me uh, in every sense uh, uh, prettier and more fun than, than finding a way using a modern building. But, you know, if you notice there are shades on one side of a building and not on the other, you've got a compass there. Yeah. I mean, there's so much of it. And obviously, I don't know how many books you've written now, but it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I'm um, uh, just just finishing finishing my my eighth, and they're all. I do get uh, it's it's one of the, one of the signs that you've got a, a a true friendship is when people can be rude and honest sort of simultaneously. And I I do have a few sort of friends who uh, are sort of saying, and they've said this for the last four books or something. You're done now. You've done it. You know, move on. You know this sort of thing. I I they they. You know, they're, they're sort of slightly, I think, betraying the fact they haven't read them, which I I understand. I, uh, but what I'm doing is taking a, a, an idea that's as as bigger as big as the world and bigger, because the the clues spread out through the solar system into the stars uh, and the universe. But I'm taking a very very simple idea, which is that everything we sense outdoors has meaning. Everything is a clue or a sign, and each time that's at the that's the core. That's the uh, that's the destination, if you want to want to use that analogy. And each time, I'm setting off on a on a journey of discovery towards it from a different direction. So I, I wrote a book called How to Read Water, which, uh, as 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 it says on the tin, is just taking the idea that every every time we look at water, it's it, there's a clue there, whether it's a a puddle, a lake, or a, an ocean. And in the secret world, or whether it's the same, exactly the same idea, but uh, applied mainly to the sky, but also to to how the sky interacts with with the ground, and uh, I'm not I'm not saying this because it, it suits me as an author. It, it's it's because I feel it very passionately in in terms of the philosophy of this this area. Um, that 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 sort of way of approaching it is is both it's as as infinite and varied as as the human character, and just as a bit of a tangent on that. I'm I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper. When I was when I was in my teens, uh, nature didn't hold um, huge interest for me. I wasn't crawling around on my knees with a magnifying glass looking for beetles, uh, as a lot of naturalists were. Um, but what I discovered more by accident is is that there's a way into fascination with the natural world, and it's a reflection of us as individuals. Uh, I wrote a book called How to Connect with Nature quite a few years ago. And I make the point in that that, it, you know, when we sit around, let's say we sit around a table with some friends and we're having a having a chat, we might know those friends are, oh, that's the person who's interested in interior design. Um, 
that that's the person who just is just fascinated by food, cooking, and restaurants, and that sort of thing. Now, those two people might say they have no interest in the natural world, but if you if you can get them onto a the interior designer onto a path of understanding that um, all all colors, textures, uh, and practical applications of things we make our home out of are rooted in in natural qualities. Cherry wood has a has a sort of a, a deeper redder finish. Pine wood a much lighter color. That sort of thing, which in turn relates to how they where they appear and how they feature in a landscape. And if you're if you're into cooking, then something like foraging is the bridge into the natural world. And natural navigation is the bridge, I firmly believe, for anyone who is passionate about travel in any form, whether it's, um, you know, walking on a Sunday or or going around the world or, or, or doing um, uh, big, big adventures. If, if, if the concept of travel excites you, then I, I, I believe that natural navigation is, the, uh, is a fun, easily accessible way to suddenly, suddenly find the natural world um, an enjoyable puzzle. Yeah, and, and you're, you know, clearly at a stage in your life where you know a lot about your subject matter, you know, you're highly successful in your field. But you, as you've said, you weren't kind of rummaging around on the floor with a magnifying glass when you were a teenager. What has this career, I guess specifically, no, no, not your career, what has this fascination and this passion given you? It's, there's, the, the very honest answer is is uh, a genuine sense of, of purpose and I'm now I'm now at the stage where I I hope I've got a lot a lot more to give but parenthood and and my age and stage not just parenthood has made me really fascinated to be fortunate through a lot of accidents to have found something that I love doing uh, and and hopefully do well has made me equally super excited and apprehensive about the next generation and i'm not just talking about my kids because because that's that's too sort of subjective it's when i when i when i meet school kids i just have the same sort of thing going through my mind the whole time which is kind of if you don't find your thing uh life's going to be less fun and tough than it needs to be uh and 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 it, i think i think the the younger generations have clocked onto something that wasn't wasn't prevalent when I was a youngster, which is the economics are are a part of part of life's choices always and for all of us. But it, it is more complex, and I think this idea of going for experiences uh, over assets is is a very interesting one. We haven't seen it play out the whole way, and there may be some stings in the tail if if you know nobody's got anything to their name by the age of um, starting a family or something like that. I honestly don't know, and I'm not an expert to sort of talk about talk about that sort of thing but it, it, it i think i think this whole area is really fascinating because if you um i think you're asking what what it's sort of given me and on a on a sort of one-dimensional sense it, it, it's given me a really fun career um on another sense it i i have a friend who's a an incredible doctor uh, a consultant anesthetist uh, i've got quite a few friends who are consultants in the medical profession and they've, they've said something very sort of, I, I don't want to share their sort of family history sort of too much, but there's a very interesting thing which, which ties in with something which I, would, I might call a sort of head on the pillow test, which is whatever you do when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, can you, can you sort of smile about the general thing you're doing? Now, we all have different callings and different uh, emotional responses. 
for some people, they, they can't do that unless they are, you know, a, a paramedic in a war zone. For some people, they can do it if they're, um, uh, you know, making money in financial services or, or, or some other area. And this is, this, is not, this is not a judgmental thing at all, but it is, I think, essential for all of us that we can put our head on the pillow at the end. And that's why it comes back to finding the thing. It doesn't have to, you know, the, the, the person working in financial services, uh, you know, it might, might allow them to do some incredible charity things and things like that. But I don't, and, and again, I, I don't think everybody, and I think the world would be boring if there were X billion people running around solely you know motivated by making other things better the need there needs to be one or two people sort of going you know the the edisons and thomas edison and people like that of old who i i've I've only read bits about him so this might not be the best example but i think the world does probably need people who wake up (laughs) with a slices i don't really care about anyone else or anything else you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do some extraordinary crazy things or i'm gonna do them because they make me happy um so we're all somewhere on that scale uh and and that's uh that's a yeah i i'm i'm not an expert but when you ask me what it what it's sort of given me i i'm hugely grateful uh i don't want to sound too sort of saccharine about this but there were many 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 times in my life where i did not think i would ever find something that i could throw myself into uh sometimes for for you know 20 hours a day uh more often less than that but with with real passion feeling that uh there is there is you know sort of good purpose to it and I don't, I don't want to kind of oversell the philosophical side of, of natural navigation, but the using nature signs, I do genuinely believe, helps us all in terms of spotting things that are, are genuinely important in our own lives. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say everybody needs natural navigation to get through life. I, I do believe it's, it's necessary to have the most interesting journeys. But what I mean about helping us is that through natural navigation, I've learned that everything is a sign, uh, as we were kind of playing around with earlier. And that has helped me personally to sometimes be more aware of situations that I was oblivious to otherwise. They can be very sort of simple things, like noticing the person who's sad in a room. It's not something, you know, I would necessarily have, have picked up on as quickly as I should have done 20 years ago. But genuinely, reading nature signs has 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 made me more sensitive to the idea that one small observation can yield something quite profound and meaningful. Uh, if, if you're on a natural navigation expedition, it, it, it might tell you that, um, you know, there's a, a large, a large dangerous animal approaching, like you know, change in a change in a bird call. But on a, but that sensitivity leads has led me to, to, to notice lots and lots of things. I, uh, I, I regret not being more sensitive to them earlier in my life, but I don't, I can't sort of change that. I'm just grateful I am a bit more sensitive now. And I think that's, um, we, we all know, and it is a bit of a sort of a, a classic you thing. You know, we've all done it and we all know people who can charge, charge across a landscape, cover, you know, 30K of ups and downs uh, and, and, and feel it's the, be- the best day ever and, and not actually have noticed anything at all. Uh, I think that goes hand in hand with possibly being in lots of other situations in life and being totally unaware of what's going on around you as well. So I think the things are complementary, and um, yeah, it's, it's given me a sense that less of the world and people and every part of, you know, those, those situations slips me by. 
uh, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, really. It's, you know, I am, um, you know, I've read lots of what you've written, but also you're really making me think as we're talking. And it's almost like this natural navigation, which you can then use in your everyday life and feeds into even me driving to my studio today and noticing the tree, which is, I mean, I hadn't ever considered that you would ask me that. I just noticed the tree um, sat at a traffic light. But it's almost like the epitome of curiosity, which is something we champion through our childhood and we champion with children and then we kind of just strip it out and lose it as a as a culture um i think in, obviously not across the board you and i are clearly very curious people but it almost feels like an amazing way to reconnect with that curiosity on a dog walk or sat at a traffic light um in a way that would be very beneficial for our sanity as much as anything else and um, you know, I did write it down. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. But towards the start of this conversation, you said, if you were asked at 20 years old, um, why are you on planet Earth? What is the purpose of you? I think I'm going to cheekily specifically ask you for the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, I OK, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best for a, 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 an honest answer. Um I I would... I would really, really struggle, um, and my most honest answer at that age would probably be to do something fairly radical and more likely fail than succeed. Um, that was my feeling at the time, was that I was... It comes back to something we, we talked about a lot earlier, about the, the sense of comfort, uh, I don't I don't think the most the people most comfortable in their own skin or their own sort of situation are feeling they need to shake things up massively but I was really uncomfortable at that age and I I feel uncomfortable just thinking about it now but I I I did equally from a very young age have this slight sort of rebellious um rattle cage feeling I tell you a weird story on that I was at school and I had a, a, a an odd but good teacher uh, who could tell when we were getting bored and would lob sort of um, philosophical grenades out to us. And he said, we're going to go around the class and, and throw out um, the the one word that, that, you know, sums you up in a way that makes you slightly different to, to everyone else at this school. And, you know, it, it's, it was, it's an uncomfortable exercise and it's meant to be an uncomfortable exercise. And, you know, we had a few of the sort of predictable, um, you know, dependable, um, I can't remember the words, but I, the fact I can't remember them is is something, it, it's possible that somebody else in that class will recall uh, the word I used, which was sabotage. Uh, and that, you know, I look back on that and go, that's not a, that's not a totally happy sort of kid. Um, uh, and yet there was a positive within it which is that, again, I'm far less interested in myself in this context than the next generation. But if we're young and we we are struggling in any way and that manifests in that feeling of, I just kind of want to smash things and, and very young children do manifest in that way. Uh, I was watching a drama on TV where an, un, an unhappy seven-year-old was, was smashing things in the home and, uh, and it, it, it felt tr- sort of true to me. But if we have that sense... There is a very positive thing within it, which is it, it is the universe whispering to us, kind of like, 
you don't have to just break things. You can, you know, dismantle and put them back together in a, a slightly more interesting way. And that when we're when we're perhaps, which is part of youth, the, the uh, I would I wouldn't ever want to be a young person that didn't ever experience sort of, you know, uh, anger or frustration, but the frustration comes sometimes because we can feel the negative side of those messages, but we don't yet have any sort of, forgive the navigation sort of uh, pun here, but we have no roadmap of the positive side of it. But that that feeling, which I had incredibly strongly as a 20-year-old, uh, and I was continuing to do sort of rebellious things for, I was rebelling for the first 25 years of my life. And, but that was, again, it's that, that word sabotage was I was feeling probably in a very negative mindset and I was, without even realizing, I was vocalizing a sense that I was only on the negative side of this this feeling. If we can find our thing, uh, then we we understand that something doesn't. It isn't just about smashing things. It, it might be about uh, turning them upside down or looking at them in a different light or something like that. And that's uh, that's the positive thing. So if there are if if there are young people listening to this or or parents listening to this. It's something I feel very passionate about, and if it, it if it kind of resonates with you, if if you know kids you know are are um, shaking it up uh, in a not entirely sort of positive way, then I I feel very passionately, and I would love to find ways to communicate this more effectively and, and possibly broadly. Is is that's 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 the start of possibly something really very exciting, and I don't think that's hugely original, but it is something I feel feel quite strongly about having having been through one flavor of it. Yeah. And I mean, I I have to now ask, so, you know, you've answered as the 20 year old and and explained why, but you said earlier, I think the phrase was, I'm now firmly middle-aged and I feel like I'm at the start of that journey. I can resonate with that. But um, why do you think now you're on planet earth and what's the purpose of you? What's the plan? Uh, um, I don't think this fully answers the question but i i feel perhaps uh my 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 role if i have one and there's nothing guaranteeing i have to have a role in inverted commas is to be a creative disruptor that 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 rattles cages and helps people not not always see the natural world differently see it for the first time properly deeply uh uh, and I think it really helps to be a poacher turn game, gamekeeper. It helps to be a rebel. Um, I think there are some, you know, lovely, nearly always pretty nice people who've been absolutely fascinated by nature all their lives, uh, who who actually struggle to to bring people into the fold because uh, they 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 haven't been a poacher. Uh, and and so, I, I, if I was asked now, I think that's that's possibly my role. But I'm not I'm not so caught up in my own my own uh, universe that I believe I necessarily have a role. It might be time for for someone else to, I, I've been so sort of fortunate and I am genuinely so sort of grateful that somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, good innings, you know, you, you're done time for time for some 20 uh, year old who's feeling a bit uncomfortable to, to, you know, shake things up now. Uh, I'd say, uh, yeah, that's a, that's probably a good shout, but I'll, I'll keep pushing. <laughs> I would, I would strongly encourage you to keep pushing if that's okay for the benefit of the rest okay. of us. Thank you. Um, So, uh, you know, conscious of time, um, just to wrap this up, I always ask people the same two questions at the end of every conversation. Um, Maybe I'll write a book one day with their answers. But the first (laughs) is, um, what scares you? 
I do I do feel fear uh, a lot, uh, and it's it's fear slash anxiety. I, I've never ever got to the point where I'm entirely comfortable in um, medium social gatherings. I'm quite comfortable in a room with a hundred people in it, and I. Uh, not something I could have done as a young person, but I can stand up on a stage and talk to a thousand people. But if you put me in a room with with twenty people, I half know. I, I find it absolutely terrifying. I, I genuinely, uh, I genuinely, I'm not, I'm not sort of saying this for effect. I, uh, I don't sleep well for two or three nights before it, um, and and I find it scary. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, there are probably lots of other things, but if that that's the thing that that you know is is. Uh, I'd, I would genuinely rather be on a, a small boat in a storm in the middle of nowhere than um, than, than do that uh, too often. That's a very honest and unique answer. Thank you. Um, what brings you hope? Uh, I do. I am a general sort of optimist, and we are going through uh, a period which none of us sort of know how it how it sort of plays out but the narrative is that we're not making changes in lots of areas fast enough to to meet the challenges that that we face but the the thing that gives me hope is the the ability for individuals and groups and populations and the entire you know um you know the the human being in in whatever sort of numbers to 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 make decisions and and quite creatively make things solve problems and make things better faster. So I think most of our uh, I, I I've made it a point since the beginning of doing what I do to not to not sort of get into politics because I think, funnily enough, I I, I find it's um it's it's not sort of helpful for a lot of the the, the sensitivity I need for for what I do, but. Um, that that's the thing that gives me hope is I genuinely believe that um, humans are, if you'll forgive a slightly longer answer to this, humans are, there's there's a there's some stories in, in aviation psychology, and I've had to take an exam in it to, to get one of the qualifications I needed. You learn about how there are different character types and up at the front end of a large aircraft, there will always be at least two people. And in the ideal scenario, you have two very different character types there. You have the person who is a systems manager uh, and that is the typical airline pilot of today because they will go through all of their career, hopefully, without being faced with a crisis. But you also want somebody up the front who who is good in a crisis and actually gets a bit bored and fidgety and is a bit a bit not suited to, you know, a 10-hour flight with nothing bad happening. And it, in, in I, I learned studying this in the, the aviation psychology that in the post-war period, there were far too many sort of you know, crisis handlers, not enough people who are good at doing the the 200 item checklist and the boring, important stuff. And we've now switched perhaps the other way. There are a couple of systems managers up the front, but we're not entirely sure how they react when the, when the engine falls off. And that sounds, you know, unrelated to hope, but my general sort of feeling is in, in, in times of, of relative calm or prosperity, the systems managers get to call the shots. Uh, and in times of, um, uh, crisis. Uh, there are just enough people who are who are prepared to 
to hop into the sea. And I'm not talking about the obvious things here necessarily. You know, people will be leaping to all sorts of conclusions about what I'm thinking of. I might be thinking that, might be thinking of other things. I'm just talking about my general hope, you know, whether it's um, as something as banal and pointless as as something not, not you know, functioning right in the local village or or something much, much broader and global. That's the thing that gives me hope is that the the, the there are always enough people spread through humanity to to kind of swap seats uh when it when it when it comes to it um does that make sense <laughs> it does and that another brilliant and unique answer <laughs> cheers um, so yeah I, I i don't think i've ever said this live at the end of a podcast but i really 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 hope we get to have another conversation one day because i feel like there's well there's eight books worth of stuff we could talk about and we probably just scratched the surface but Thank you very much. That was one of my favourite conversations I've had for this podcast in a long time. Oh, thanks so much, Matt. I really, really enjoyed it. And let's have that 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 second chat because uh, there are so many things you've done I want to hear about. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really enjoy that. Thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to the Adventure Podcast at co.uk. If you want to get in touch, then I have a new email address and you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes.